0: Hello, my name's Tom Walker. Welcome to That'll Be The Day. After a dry January where my podcasts have been concerned, I'm back with a fascinating conversation with a man who, in his mid-twenties, was diagnosed with the eye condition choroideremia. But before we hear about Gary O'Connor's 34-year career in the City of London and how his eye condition affected him, if you like the music at the start of this podcast, it's a track called That'll Be The Day by the Liverpool band The Vow. And as always, there'll be a track by The Vow at the end of this podcast. To find out which one it is, stay tuned. And let me tell you, it's a belter. Now, when you're working with large amounts of money, you've got to be on the ball. One slip-up could result in significant losses. But at the age of 26, Gary O'Connor was diagnosed with choroideremia, which is similar to retinitis pigmentosa. Concerned that the diagnosis would have a detrimental impact on his career, for a long time, Gary stayed stung. His career continued to progress and now retired on Hailing Island, off the south coast of England, Gary is indulging his passion for music. When I spoke to him on Zoom a few days ago, I started by asking Gary about his career.
1: I started off in um, in operations and um, monitoring um basically commercial loans for large corporates. And then and then um, you know, you move into you move into the as I, I started off working for an American bank and then, you know, the idea was to get onto the platform. So what you wanted to be then was to be a lending officer, a lending officer. So you'd go around and visit all the large company and try and persuade them to take money off of you. You know, so that was that was the idea. But to get there, you had to understand, you know, how know how a corporate operated you have to understand obviously accounts you have to understand credit you have to you know how to base a lending decision on the financial standing of the company um and you have to understand the legal context of the company and how it might affect any agreement you come into so you have to do quite a bit of law as well so and then what you've got to be able to do as well is to you know basically get off get off your can i say arse i don't know anyhow (laughs) you just have oh sorry you have to get out on the get out on the road and get on the telephone you have to be you know basically do your sales and marketing at the same time as well
0: and since you finished work you've been focusing on your music haven't you
1: I have indeed yeah it's basically become um you know music for many people of course is a huge passion and it's become um more of a a a huge passion for me so um yes it, it envelops my whole life just about so you know from the from the time I get up to um, to the last thing I do when I go to sleep before I go to sleep at night so um, which is not I'm, I'm not actually I'm not completely obsessed by it but it's um, you know it's, it's
0: just fascinating. Well hopefully we'll hear a bit of your music in uh, a little bit later on in this podcast um, and we'll talk about your music in the well I don't want to be too grand, but what we'll call mm-hmm. part two of this podcast. Oh, part two, yeah.
1: Well, yeah. We'll give everybody
0: a warning first, in case they need to go and make a cup of tea while the music's on. So. <laughs> we will indeed. <laughs> now, one of the things that interested me about you, Gary, is that you have the eye condition mm-hmm. choroideremia, which is similar, as far as I understand it, to retinitis pigmentosa. Um, what are the practical effects it has on your eyesight and your life?
1: Well, of course, it's a progressive degenerative disease of the retina so it's been a history of changes really so it's been constantly adjusting to the um, you know how your, your eyesight deteriorate and adjusting your lifestyle and your life pattern accordingly to um, ensure you can function reasonably well uh, as well as you can within the constraints that you have so that's that's been the struggle if you like really well now all, all I can see is basically light and shade i can't see any detail and none of the it's all like just a uh, you know like might be a a, a bright light but i can't see anything around it i can't see faces or course, i can't see the tv i can't well more recent bit by bit like more recently i had to stop well not i had to stop i could i used to be able to read um the the text actually specifically on facebook messenger i could just about make out the text with the various adjustments on the, on the iPhone. And, um, but that so I stopped, um, I think halfway through last year. So I've, I've started to use this, um, voiceover thing a bit more on, on, on the Apple, um, which I think it seems to work quite well on the iPhone, but my son put it on the Apple Mac for me and I've, I've, um, yeah, I found that, um, very frustrating. I've, I've turned it off cause it's too frustrating and, <laughs>
0: <laughs> and, and, yeah, yeah uh, I can understand that. Am I right in saying as well, Gary, you used to be able to drive?
1: Oh yeah, so yeah, I, I did. Yeah, I, I, I start. I, well, I, actually, to be honest, I mean, I was diagnosed when I was um, twenty-six. I think yeah, twenty-six, and um, and I was obviously driving at the point, and. And it was a bit of a surprise being diagnosed, which maybe is another thing we can go on to. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, so I did, and I think Professor Bird, who was then the, the main man at Moorfields on the genetic eye disease side, you know, he It was so much more, less sophisticated than it is now. But basically, he suggested that it might not be a good idea to drive. And I, 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 unfortunately, I did continue to drive for a few more years, which, you know, I, I know I shouldn't have done, and I, I do regret. Doing that. But I did um drive for a few more years. Um, um but I I guess I thought everything I could see, you know, at that point I thought I could see fine, but of course what well, you don't realise that these bits missing. So yeah. But I touched wood and lucky
0: enough, um you know, didn't have any accidents and you know, there you go. You were diagnosed at the age of twenty-six. Um, what caused you to go and get checked out? Were there incidents that happened before then?
1: What happened, in actual fact, was my mother was sort of diagnosed before I was. Now, in the disease, the choroidromia, I think it's, it's called female regressive. So basically, my mother should be a carrier. One time, I was at this point, I was working on a computer system. We were inputting, um, it was called International Banking System. And we, we even then, we used to use Wang processing machines, I think. You know, I don't know, Wanging. A wang and it was the first sort of like in some ways communication tool and using um uh, emails or sort of thing and word processing online and um anyhow yeah, the point is i suddenly realized when i put one hand over one eye one over the I, there was movement, and I thought, was a bit odd. And then the thing came through at work, and it said, you know, if you are at the screen a bit more. And I think then, don't forget as well, I think the screen's were like this green and black thing, you know, it wasn't as they are now. And they said you could get, you know, go and get an eye test. So I thought, well, I might as well just go and get an eye test. And that's what kicked it off. I think the basically the optician looked at looked into it and said, oh, um, I think you need to go to Moorfields. <laughs> <laughs> and I says, where's that? Of course, in the city, it's not far, from, when you're in the city of London, it's not far from, you know, the city and um, it's just one tube, ride. And, um, and so anyhow, so I, so I did. And I went in as an outpatient, and, you know, and that next thing I know, yeah, it was, was a bit, bit traumatic,
0: I think. <laughs> You've used the word there, traumatic,
1: when yeah. you
2: left
0: that appointment with Professor Bird. Yeah. How were you feeling? What, What was going through your mind?
1: Well, it was a bit of a shock to be told that, you know, by the time you get to 55, you're going to be blind. And so for many years, it was like, I felt like I had the sword of Damocles over my head.
0: Um, And there was no counselling, no help. And mm. there was no counselling for you. I mean, obviously, I'm I'm guessing you assume there should have been.
1: Yeah, I was sort of like left. No, nobody came, nobody followed up. And and I suppose you think, well, how do you cope, and particularly with um, the family, well, actually then we didn't, we, we, the daughter was born in 87, so it was a couple, you know, we had to a year later. Um, but, you know, how do you cope then with your career? And so I thought we, in some degree, we thought, well, the best thing to
0: do is to ignore it in some ways, you know. You know? I mean, was it occupying a lot of your waking thoughts? Yeah, or did yeah you so have it, days? Did you have days when actually you just didn't even think about it at all? I don't think I did. It was always there. It was always there. You know,
1: and it was always, uh, I think for, for a while I was very annoyed by
0: it. And um, but it was every day, you know, to think about it. Mm. And as well as carrying on driving, you continued to work. Um, yeah. am, am I right in saying, Gary, you didn't disclose your diagnosis to your employer?
1: No, I no, I never did know, and because I thought it would be the end of my career, you know. So, you know, and I did want to do uh, quite well in my career, and I think I did, I did it reasonably well in the end. I think really as well. But I think if I'd have said, you know, what was my eye condition? I don't, you know, working with figures and screens, and you know, you can get things wrong, particularly latterly in my career. Actually, it was more important because I could latterly in my career, I, I headed up a trading a trading team, you know, where you know, my, well, my groups, uh, my, my teams, the, t- uh, the trading limit we had, you know, I could, I think I could have committed just under a billion euros, you know, so um, it wasn't the sort of thing maybe like in the stock exchange where you could press a number and get something wrong and all of a sudden you've, you, you know, it wouldn't have been that immediate, but I could have, it could have, um, I could have got the, the price wrong and been committed to exchange on a price um, potentially. So it, yeah. So I, I used to, you know, be very very careful what he did until it you know he got to the point where I thought well I think I and did I I did then it was only in the last bank so I worked for six banks and it was owned the last bank which is a German bank called Westdeutsche Landesbank and they were very good actually when I came, I so so was like I came out <laughs> and um, so and uh, so then we got the R and I B came in and did a report on me and that and the, the bank put some specially software actually from germany as well so i used to have this because i couldn't see the cursor of course you know and all that sort of thing and actually i had to to say what it was like i'd like i had like five screens in front of me you know with all different things so i had to move around these screens and um i don't know i did it to be honest now but um yeah, but what the the, the 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 manager i don't know if it, i can what it was called the software but it was Whenever the cursor moved, it grew a grip big cross across the each we moved with it. So it's almost like a firing thing that you get on a submarine. So you could I'd know where the cursor was, and if I knew where the cursor was, I'm, then I might have had half a chance of um, seeing something. Um, and I could still read. I used to read lots of research, you know, corporate research, market research, lots of research, and I could still sort of read. Then with um, I used to have like a magnifier um that used used to help quite a bit one of these line magnifiers i just bring down like on a ruler thing and that used to help so i think i was quite lucky i did have a slow progression with the disease and i could have i could be reasonably effective for for quite a while
0: in the earlier part of your career do you think um had you disclosed it do you think that would have been the end effectively
1: of your work oh undoubtedly oh yeah yeah definitely yeah yeah because you know you are under a lot of pressure i mean some of the the jobs you move to you get headhunted or you you to, to move to, I mean, I think yes, I think I were, I could should remember it, really, but it was six banks. And you know, when you you got to have your medical and you know on this medical you have before you you joined and you're at this age where you you know you haven't put your notice in but you've got to pass the medical before you put your notice in and everything. And you know you'd be waiting for them. Nobody yeah, and everybody else says, oh you, there's nothing not a problem. I'm thinking I'm thinking, yes there is for me if they're fine about my eyes, I'm stuffed here, you know, sort <laughs> of thing. And so I would be, um, well, I never used to say that to anybody, well, I never used to say that to anybody apart from my missus because they didn't want anybody else to know. So, um, um, so, yeah, so that would be the thing, waiting for this medical and to making sure you pass the medical, and um, that used to stress me out. But there was a lot of money riding on that medical, that, particularly that last medical, you know, and I can still remember kind the lady to... The, uh, the the lady doctor who looked at me, she you know she says, oh yeah, your a you often as a you Do you play rugby? And I says, well, n- not really, you <laughs> know. And I was, so, and then I think the um, she, she couldn't. I think she was quite surprised. Probably to see the back of my retina. I think she 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 didn't understand why it was all probably white at the back of my. So she thought that the uh, torch on her whatever it is, a thalmoscope, whatever it is she looks through with, and uh, she thought that was broken. She says, oh, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, you're all, you're, you're good to go,
0: sort of thing. Like, whoa <laughs> It must have been quite stressful trying to make sure that your colleagues didn't realise that you had a visual impairment, especially when yes. you stopped driving. Um, what length yeah. did you go to to make sure they didn't find out that they, their colleague um effectively was going to lose his sight because as you say that could have been quite catastrophic for your career
1: yeah i i i, I used to do all sorts of different yeah, all sorts of different things and like things like i you know i, I didn't used to, to you know i I'd travel like traveling by myself and i'd get the train if i was going anywhere sort of thing sometimes fiona would take me somewhere and drop me off so Um, You know, there was all sorts of different um, techniques that I'd use to kind of, you know, obscure the fact that, you know, and people used to kind of go to like, you know, race, sometimes to race days and, you know, kind of corporate entertainment, you'd go and race cars. And, you know, I'd I'd sort of like, I might say I was going and last minute I'd say, oh, I'm not very well and can you send my, you know, my number two will go instead sort of thing. So I used to do those sort of things. So if I was in any situation, I'd, you know, Sometimes, unfortunately, I used to feign um, illness or <laughs> um, not, you know,
0: or work commitments that I couldn't get out of, so I couldn't go or do things. As a visually impaired person, I've had to do that before. I used to carry a white cane. Um, I would go around the place, and and people, or some people at least, would have no clue. I have yeah. very serious visual impairment. So uh, I entirely yeah. understand where you're coming from. Yeah. If
1: you I mean, that mind... was a thing as well for us. That, you know, we used to clients, corporate and some, you know, I think I'm, uh, we used to go to some corporate entertainment events, and this I've, yeah, I've written a song about this sort of, uh, but the sort of thing when you're in a bar or something and you keep bumping into walls and tables and everything, and everybody thinks you're blottoed, <laughs> you
0: know. Oh, you yeah. don't mind me mentioning this, Gary, but I'm aware of, uh, of the, uh, an event you went to. I think it was a drinks reception or something. Oh, yeah. And you, did you not knock a lady's arm three times? Obviously by accident. Tell us about that. I right. did. I
1: did. The lovely love, the lovely Mary, yeah, from um, Bank of Ireland, yeah. So, um, you know, she was a lovely lady and everything. We were there in, I think, it was a reception at Nat West in Gibson Hall. I can still remember it. I lifted my arm up and all the champagne went all over her. So she went off to the ladies, came back, um, stood next to me again, and I did exactly the same thing again. <laughs> and then she went off, came back, and somehow I did exactly the same I said, I said it three times and she was she said, Gary O'Connor once is it once is it once is you know once is an accident twice is parnable, three is downright you know you know faking it I can say that it's not so annoying and then um, she stormed off yeah so uh so three times you know
0: eventually you decided to um leave work was that because of your visual impairment
1: no, I, I, well, you know, I kind of, it was this, this this financial crisis that we went through. And to be honest, in the past, and the experience I've had before, um, you know, when these various things that happened, you know, recessions that happened during the banking career and financial crises, that quite often banks basically shrink down, which makes makes you know people get made redundant, and and then as things get better again, nobody gets reemployed again. So it's a bit of a concertina sort of effect in terms of employment, and it has been in the city um in my experience up to, the, up, to up to the up to,
0: the, to when i worked there so gary you've described your site now as being pretty poor to be honest um oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. what have you learned about yourself since you lost your site effectively i think i've learned to try and try and be patient with myself
1: i'm, I'm you know i think perhaps in, in instinctively i'm somebody who wants to do something yesterday i think um uh, so i have to stop um restrict myself and from from doing things which um, I can and then not be frustrated with yourself. So I've learned I've, I've learned to, to do that. And and also then try not to be frustrated with the people who are trying to help you because they're not doing things as quickly or when you
0: want them to. Um, and one thing you can do, and we're gonna raise the mood now, is music. Have you ever fancied being a DJ? Thank you very much, Tom. This
1: is a brand new wonderful amazing new single from the Gary O'Connor band and it's called Fun Sponge!
0: So that was Fun Spun by the Gary O'Connor band. Um, Gary, before we talk about the band, you better tell us about the song. It's got a slightly like unusual title.
1: Yeah, it, it has actually. And it's basically, um, you know, somebody that I know quite well who'd been saying that um, somebody who was joining their, 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 their gatherings was coming and they were in a good mood in the in the pub or in the bar and this person had come along and then all of a sudden, you know, the, you know, life's, you know, Marvin the paranoid android, and life's terrible, and I'm not doing this, and so bring the mood down, you know, dark clouds, and so she called, it, she they said oh, she, she's a complete fun sponge, and a, and a mood hoover, and so I thought, oh, it's going to be a great thing to put in a song, and so that's what the song's about, it's about, you know, it's about people who
0: bring the mood down, really, at the end of the day. Tell us about the Gary O'Connor band more generally, what kind of music do you play?
1: Yeah, I, th- I guess it's probably, you know, reasonable to say given our age and what have you, it's probably adult orientated rock pop sort of thing. So, you know, we're all influenced. We're all of the same age in the band. So we're just getting just getting to the point now where we're, you know, we're ready to do a full set um, again. So we've got our first um, gig with a new lineup on the 18th of February. It's only a small one with four other bands at, at the, uh, on the, on the, it's actually on the island at the Royal British Legion, which is quite a big hall actually. So
0: we're, and we're working with a local promoter on that. So, um, so for you as a visually impaired person, as the lead singer, you, you know, you are the main focus of the band. Everybody's eyes will be on you. How do you cope with that as a blind person? Well, I'm very conscious to
1: begin with that. You know, I don't want to make an idiot of myself and start jigging around too much. But I, I, I sort of like try to move around. I do try to engage people by 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 talking. And I just hope that the you know that they're listening. I can't see the look on people's faces, of course, as if I'm saying something which is ridiculous or people don't like. So um, which is, you know, could be a saving grace as well. same with the music. I can't see whether people are enjoying it or not really. And it's only sometimes after we've done a gig whether or not anybody's dancing or anything like that. So I have no idea. And another thing is like if we're going to start a song sometimes I'm, you know, I'm going, we? you know, I don't know whether we're ready or not.
0: Do you have a little pre-arranged signal
1: before each gig? We've developed one now. Yeah,
0: yeah. Nothing untoward has happened to you while you've been gigging. I'm, I'm hoping.
1: I've always been worried about falling off the stage. Yes. I
0: imagine.
1: I like to know where the microphone is, because. <laughs> so, you know, if I lose a microphone, again, I'm a bit stuffed, you know, and then I look, you know, because people might not know, again, in the audience, you know, I, I have a visual impairment, so again, I, I could be looking like a complete idiot, you know, kind wave swaying my arms around trying to find the microphone, you know, you so tell... that's the other thing, hold on to the microphone, so at least I know where the bloody thing is, you know.
0: Do you tell the audience that you're visually impaired?
1: No, 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 I don't I don't I don't no no. I might have done sometimes, but I don't I don't make it I try not to make a deal about it. If people want to tell or ask, they can do. But I mean I'm I'm I'm, i I don't hide it, but I don't wanna go I don't wanna say I'm you know this is a Gary kind of band and I'm blind. You know, I just you know just to let you know in case I do anything stupid on (laughs) but it's not my fault. I'm like, you know, I I yeah, I'm quiet. I don't want to do that. We've got the uh, new, al- so new album coming out, which is called
0: Blinding Light. So, actually, it's my fifth album. Well, look, Gary, it's been great to talk to you. You are, in fact, the first guest on my um, That Will Be The Day podcast for 2022. Uh, I know you said it's a Gary O'Connor honour to be on. So uh... <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be a lyric. That's going to be... I think it has to be. Look, Gary, you've also spoken very openly about some very challenging issues, and I really appreciate that. Thank you. OK, well, we've already heard Fun Sponge by the Gary O'Connor band. Now to a track by The Vow, and as I said earlier, it really is a belter. This one is January Moves In Me.
3: All right, so winter paints my face. my White, the times I've longed to erase that season of doubt Frozen in or frozen out January moves in Who permits the time to crawl I stars